you guys have your Bibles, we're going to be turning to 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to be reading the verse 2 verses today. Uh, my hope in laying out this study on 1 Peter, as I've called it, the pursuit of substance, is that it will take us hopefully around five weeks to go through. And how many know you can study the Bible for years, a book of the Bible for years? And so to do a five-week study is really just to skim over some, some things. But I felt the Lord several months ago begin to deal with me about teaching out of this book for several reasons. And little did I know how uh, prophetic it was, even when I announced it about a month ago, that we were going to be talking about these, uh, this actual particular book in the Bible. So let me read it, and then we're going to pray. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, whom have chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit or the sanctification of the Spirit. I like the translation when it says, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. If the Spirit that is working in you makes you look more like the world, it's not the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come on, somebody. <laughs> um, the reason why I believe we had to add a, a, his first name, because he was always there, the Spirit of God hovering in Genesis, I believe the reason why we had to add his first name, Holy, is because there was going to be a lot of spirits that were going to be counter to what he was, and the Lord wanted to get specific with us as new believers, especially in the end times, that the working of the Holy Spirit is to our sanctification through obedience. That the further that you walk with the Lord, your heart shouldn't become more judgmental, it should become more loving, but your actions and the way that they present itself should be above reproach. So through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to, build, to what? Here's the answer, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood, grace and peace be with yours in abundance. Heavenly Father, I pray that I'll slip away unnoticed, that as we talk about your word, that we wouldn't talk about um, your word as though you're not in the room. Your presence is not here. Father, we feel your presence this morning. We invite you to illuminate. Holy Spirit, allow me to do my job uh, that, that you've gifted me to do, to lead people closer to you, to walk in sanctification. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you're doing in and through us in our church. In Jesus' name, and everybody says. I just want to spend a few moments at the, at the start of this study and talk about the gifting of the author. The word apostleship or apostle from Hillman Bible Dictionary, we learn comes and is derived from the word apostolos or the one who is sent. Apostolos was used to refer to a ship or group of ships. So when the Apostle Peter or those of that day heard this word apostolos, their mind went to a voyage or an adventure that had a mission and a vision behind it. How many know that's pretty exciting stuff? God will send you. God doesn't just separate you to keep you silent or hidden. No, he wants your light to shine bright for him. And how many know that light will cause people that have been in darkness to, to, to kind of squint a little bit? I don't know if you've ever been in a room where you, it's been dark before and you flipped on the lights. You know that look you get? You know, like the, like the oh, I just got blinded by the light look. Really, as we, as we encounter people in the world and they see the light or the hope of Jesus working inside of us, there is something different about us because we are sent on a voyage and a mission to go make disciples. One of my wife and I's favorite things to do as a youth pastor was to invite new, new kids or new young people, new young adults over to our house because it would amaze us that a lot of young people or a lot of young adults living in today's world 
haven't had a proper view of what a, a husband and wife or a dad and a mom living healthily together actually does. That's not to say that my wife and I don't argue. Oh, because we argue. I don't want to paint the wrong picture. And I've been married this long to announce that my wife is right in all things. Come on, somebody. I mean, I'm, she's right. Even when she's not right, she's right. Am I doing good? All right, awesome. That idea, though, of being able to provide the peace in your home to people that actually have never felt that peace before is quite amazing. It always was really cool to watch young people come over and they would usually go to the fridge and we would tell them something like, our house is your house, open the fridge, you can have whatever's in there. And um, they would go in there and they would like eat us out of house and home, literally. And then it wasn't very few minutes later, 20 minutes later, they were sitting on the couch and we were talking about the church or the things of God and they would, I mean, almost to the person, they would fall asleep. Jackson was one of them, and he's here. They would just fall asleep. And largely because they hadn't felt that kind of peace in their home before, and it caused them to rest. Because that's what God does. God, God takes you out of chaos and puts you into peace. He might not necessarily change your circumstance right away. That's a sanctifying thing that comes out. But he brings the peace to you in the middle of a storm. And the reason why I love this picture, and we need to pause on, on why Peter was talking the way that he was, because he wasn't viewing suffering and persecution the way that the American church views suffering and persecution. We're going to read over the next four or five weeks um, this, this man named Peter, who we're going to get to in a few moments, his life, his life lesson to give to future church people was conviction is not a bad word and either is persecution and suffering. It's actually persecution and suffering are actually the vehicles by which the gospel spreads the most. So we have this, we have this false view that in order for God, for us to attract the broken world around us, that we've got to be put together, everything's got to be good, we have to present ourselves in such a way that there's not any problem. No, the early church, if you, if you study the early church, it was literally going from persecution to persecution or suffering to suffering but I'm thankful that God doesn't just promise us a light at the end of the tunnel. He promises us a light in the tunnel. What a beautiful picture that is. And so this, this word, this apostolos word, gets down to their, their, the idea that they were going to be sent out as a ship or a group of ships. And ships by their nature are built to explore, expand, and are built to withstand all manner of sea conditions. I had a friend of mine come up to me during worship and he said, I've had this picture in my mind since I've come to church today about a, a ship and a, and, a, and a warship and a battleship and, and we're not meant to go be grounded. We're meant to go explore. And I was like, just wait for my sermon here in like 15 or 20 minutes and we'll, we'll get to it. But I love how God, God confirms even in the local body how important these things are. I was thinking about that show, The Deadliest Catch. Haven't you ever watched that show, The Deadliest Catch before? A measure of a, of a ship is not how it handles smooth seas, but a measure of a ship is how it handles rough seas. And the measure of our relationship with Jesus is not how it handles smooth seasons, but rather seasons of struggles. Do you know that you have a kind of faith in your life that can be tested because the faith that's inside of you is rooted and anchored to a foundation that will never let you down. 
It will never let you down. Circumstances might let you down. People might let you down. But your heavenly father will never let you down. It's important to remember how these, how these people were sent out. The, the Bible says that they were sent out two by two. You'll read in some commentators, and I need to pause here as we start to study a book of the Bible, because commentators, when you read commentaries, it's basically humans' best attempt to tell you what they're finding in the Word of God. And commentaries are basically uh, theologians or very schooled people's thoughts and opinions on what they believe the Word of God to say. But commentaries are not Scripture. Look at your neighbor and say, commentaries are not Scripture. Commentaries commentate about Scripture. And so you have to understand that when you read commentaries, oftentimes they will do the very same thing they tell you not to do. They'll go, well, we, well Peter couldn't have wrote this because it was, um, it was, it was the, the language in the, in the original was too beautiful for a fisherman to write. They'll, they'll, they'll say, well, um, you know, there's, there's many reasons why. And, and what they'll say at the end of it is, is, but there's not enough evidence, so we have to assume that Peter wrote this. And so when the, when the plain text tells you the plain truth, just believe that. And so it's important for you to understand in Scripture, especially those commentators or those that even might maybe want to come behind you as a new believer and teach you the Word of God, that they don't instruct you to do the thing that they don't tell someone else not to do. It's important for you to understand that. Let me give you an example of this. 1 Peter 5 and 12 actually gives us a hint at the answer. And Peter himself says that I have this friend of mine named Silas who has helped me along the way. It could have been that, that the Bible was actually true and they were sent out two by two in partnership. It's, it's, it's another point to know that you're not supposed to min, uh, live this life alone. It's what was so horrible about the COVID season that we all walked through a half a decade ago. Everyone in the world was saying, no, you got to go isolate yourself and go separate yourself. But we know, and Scripture teaches us, that we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as though some of you have, have done. So ch the church is, a, is supposed to be this live and, and wonderful community where iron sharpens iron, where my strengths are upheld by, uh, my strength upholds someone else's weakness and someone else's weakness is hold up, upheld by my strength. Another word for apostolos is, is later it was designed or designated as a bill, invoice, or passport. It's important for you to understand the, the, the authority by which Peter was talking to the church in this letter. I love it. I love the picture of a passport. How many has ever done international travel before? It's it's really intimidating. It's like they'll go country of origin, and if you if like I'll say, well, America, you know, America, and they'll go, what's America? And you go, United States of America, and then they go, okay, um, because the authority of a passport is only as good as the person who has given you the passport by the authority by which it rests on. You guys tracking with me right now? So this word apostolos is actually, what, it, what it's actually saying is, is, is Peter had the authority that God handed him to break new ground. And the point is, is that God will bring who and what you need to accomplish for the work that he has for you. But I'm so grateful that God gave Peter an authority that Peter was not speaking on his own behalf. He was speaking upon the, uh, by the, uh, the Holy Spirit to speak to new generations of believers. I'm thankful that we have an authority that rests outside of our own version of what truth is. Because if we all get to define what truth is, we're in trouble. How many know that? There are still only um, two genders. I don't know if that's controversial to say in America today. 
Um, truth is truth. Marriage is still between a, a man and a woman. Is that controversial to say? Truth is truth. And I'm thankful that I don't even, when I say that, stand on my own authority. I stand on the authority of the word of God. And that take, listen to me, is not bigoted. It's not phobic. We speak truth because we want people to win in life. And we know at the end of a life filled with sin and chaos and destruction and hurt and pain, that life is not a life that anyone wants to live. And I'm thankful that I found Jesus. And the reason why we know that in the church, you know why we know that in the church? is because some of us were just like that. We're not talking as though we haven't had a testimony of God delivering us out of our own chaos and our own mess. And so when we talk about truth, we don't talk about truth in absence of understanding in our own life what God has actually done in our life. In the New Testament, that, that word apostle has three broad uses. First, it refers to the 12 whom Jesus chose to train for the task of carrying his message to the world. The second designation is as of a messenger or a person who is authorized by a local congregation with a safe delivery of specific gifts for another Christian church. The third sense of apostle is those whom Jesus Christ has sent. And even Paul refers to a number of people as apostles in this sense. Let me give you some of my commentary. Now, my commentary is my commentary. My commentary is not scripture, but my commentary on apostleship, um, as I've always said, is subject to change and grow with new information and revelation through the study of the word of God. But apostleship can be defined as the 12 whom Jesus sent. It could also be defined as those who are designated to be messengers authorized by the church, which we are still a part of. Apostleship, according to 1 Corinthians 12 and 28, refers to those who are still being sent out to advance the gospel in all regions. And apostles, combined with elders and deacons, make up the leadership team of the church, which you and I have a part to play. Let me tell you why this is so important, because it is our doctrine and our belief at our church that the spiritual gifts and offices are still in operation. We believe that the apostolic gift and the evangelist gift and the pastoral gift and the, and the teaching gift, those fivefold ministry gifts are still in operation today. But what we have done is we've made the church have to subject itself to the world's governing powers. And oftentimes we have, we have allowed the governance of the world, our government, Cal, uh, Oregon, California, the, the United States of America, we have allowed them to change even how we are structured. Like, for example, when we apply, apply for a 501c3 nonprofit organization, we are actually uh, told that we need to have a board. And so what we've done as, as churches all over America is we've taken board members and we don't even actually know how they apply to actually scriptural structure. And board members become this weird dynamic where who are the elders and who are the deacons and who are the, the people that are supposed to be leading the church. And if you're confused, that is my point. My point is, is in the American church, we actually don't even know how it's supposed to be spiritually structured anymore because we've allowed so much mixing of how the church is supposed to operate. And that's why the church isn't as potent as it should be. And so we have to understand one of the things that we need to do when we study scripture is actually understand the importance of that apostolic gift, that gift that actually goes and reaches unknown people groups. 
the apostolic group that actually leads an, an out front spokesperson of the church, that apostolic gift is so important and the office of that is so important. Because why? There's still people to reach. I believe children and youth pastors are a prime example of, 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 a, of a type of person in the church that needs to have an apostolic bent to their ministry. Because you know why? Because largely our churches are filled with children who've never had an experience with the Lord. Our kids are largely an unreached people group. We desire for them to come to church and, and, and uh, uh, experience the tangible presence of God and have moments in His presence to where they know that, that God doesn't have any grandchildren but only children. And so what I pray over our, our youth team and our children's team uh, on the daily is, Lord, would you give them the apostolic mantle to lead people, especially our children who need to have a tangible touch from your presence so that they can go in on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights and young people can know the power and presence of the Holy Spirit even in the Church of America. So that apostleship is an important thing. And so Peter was an apostle. He had this mantle on him to actually spread good news and be out front. Let me give you some notes on who he was as a person or his life. It was Peter who was among the inner circle of Christ's disciples. It was Peter that Jesus addressed in Matthew 16, 18, when he stated, You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It was Peter who denied the Lord at the time of, of fear and weakness. And I'm thankful that his fellowship with Christ was wonderfully restored in John chapter 21, because why? It proves that restoration is a beautiful thing. That if you fall down, there's grace for you to get back up again. And we got to be careful that we don't change the goalposts so that when people get back up, they're not actually getting back up in error and not actually repenting of the thing that they've fallen from, but they're actually getting back up because when you get back up, it's in that spirit that the church is built. After being filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, it was Peter who stood on the street in Jerusalem and courageously proclaimed the gospel of Christ. He was empowered by the Holy Spirit Peter, the first Pentecostal preacher, 3,000 people responded to his message and received Christ. And that was just the beginning of Peter's ministry. Then Peter wrote, nothing. When you go to 1 Peter and you read through here, which I encourage you to do this week, read, read all five chapters. When you go through and read, that Peter, who, who could have spent a lot of time talking about his experience, did not talk about his experience he talked about substance. I don't know about you, but if I saw cloven tongues of fire appear on people's heads and they all started speaking in other languages, I would have wrote about that. I would have wrote about that time when I preached and 3,000 people got saved. I would have wrote about that. I would have wrote about that time when I saw an ear get chopped off and Jesus put it back on. I would have wrote about that in my book. But do you know that he does not mention any of his experiences because why? When you get around the Holy Spirit and He begins to work in your life, those things chase you, but you're chasing something of greater substance than those things that are chasing you. It's important for you to understand. Pentecostals, if you're not careful, will major on the minors and minor on the majors. As I've taught for almost two years, we don't chase signs and wonders and miracles. They chase us. If we come here to, to be part of a circus or a show, 
Or we, we, we try to, to make the main thing not the main thing anymore, the minor thing the main thing. Forgive us and help us because we're going to be in trouble. That's not to say that we should not be seeing those things. We should be seeing people get baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. We should see signs and wonders and miracles and healings and, and the miraculous breakthrough. But Peter himself, the man who, who was, was more Pentecost than anybody, he was the spokesman for Pentecost. He takes his life assignment and he says, I want to teach you something a little bit deeper than just the things that I've experienced, and I want you to go to the things that I, I know. What a beautiful picture. What a beautiful picture of a man whose life was more about what God was asking him to do than even what he had experienced in his own past. In the end, what I believe you see is a man maturing from passion to conviction, from immaturity to maturity, Peter was a passion-filled person, and of course God used it. But in the end, he created a passion-filled, mature man of God, who I believe is a great example for what's coming in America. We are going to have to learn as an American Christian how to deal and stand on the Word of God in the face of persecution and suffering. We're going to have to learn how to do it. We're going to have to learn how to, how to exemplify grace under fire, we're going to have to learn how to have our names muddied and our reputations attacked and, and people telling us that we're saying things that we're not saying. Standing for truth will always put a bullseye on your back. But when people live out the sin-filled life, it is fun for a season, the Bible says. But when you live it out to the end and you find that there's brokenness and despair and the thing that you were chasing to fill a temporary void doesn't fill it, people are going to look up and go, where can I turn? And they're going to turn to a church that is standed and founded upon the word of God, that teaches grace and truth in love, that loves people where they're at, but doesn't agree with where they're at. Come on, somebody. It preaches a gospel of repentance. Jesus, God, God didn't send Jesus to die on the cross so that we can live in the thing that he came to die for. And I'm not just talking to you, I'm talking to me, my attitudes, my actions. Every one of us are progressing in the sanctifying walk. And I am thankful to have experienced many wonderful things in the presence of God. I've seen, I've seen like supernatural miracles where ears have opened and eyes have been opened. And, and, and people that were sentenced to death were raised and now they're living. I mean, I've seen some, some really supernatural things, but at the end of my life, when my boys and my wife are talking to me at the funeral, about me at the funeral, I don't, I don't want them to say, well, look at all the things that he experienced. No, I want him and them to say, look at the man who he became. He became a person that was not beholden to chasing something to affirm him. But his eyes were set on Jesus, the author and the finisher of his faith. And no matter when there was money in the bank or when there wasn't money in the bank, no matter what the doctor said in a good report or a bad report, no matter what the sky was on the outside or the climate of the country he lived in was, no matter where uh, my dad was found in his walk, his eyes were fixed on Jesus. And that's what Peter is telling us. And so we're going to walk through the next four to five weeks and we're going to dive into Scripture because it's important that as a believer, you go on a search for substance. 
Like something deeper than a shallow Christian walk with the Lord. I'm watching a lot of our friends get get saved and delivered and God's doing incredible things, but you're not coming to a cruise ship. You're coming to a battleship. There's an enemy that wants to take you out. There's, there's, There's places and things in your life that like when you walk out these doors, it's game time. There's things that are gonna wanna take you out and move you on. I've been part of the church for a long time and I've seen God transform lives in a moment only for them to start, to start inching their way back to the thing that he transformed them from. It's going to be a fight. And what I love about what Peter is saying in, in this book and what we're going to get to it in the coming weeks is that suffering and persecution are not your enemies, they are your friends. The book of James says, I rejoice when I fall into diverse trials and temptations. For it's the testing of my faith that produces patience. And patience brings about every good work. I like what the old timers would tell new believers. Here's what they would say. Every time those church doors are open, you get there. If it's a Sunday morning, if it's a Sunday night, if it's a Wednesday night, I want you to be around in life groups of people that are studying the word. I want you to go through highs and I want you to go through lows. But I want you to know in the end that we serve a God that is not scared by your questions. There's a lot of people that are, that are my age living in this community that are deconstructing their faith. That's a, it's a code word for their questioning or they're having some problems with how the church that they were raised in, how they implemented some of their beliefs. And I want you to know there is a large measure of how the church has been the last 30 and 40 and 50 years in the American culture that needs to be questioned. But you better make sure that you're not questioning the word of God, but maybe questioning people's interpretation of the word of God is warranted deconstructing, if you're not careful, will destroy. And I'm fine with destroying man things, things that man has built. But there are principles of how we're supposed to live our life that are found in this book that if you're not careful in the deconstructing of your faith will cause great damage and chaos to your family. I'm going to give you an example. In a few weeks, in the middle of, uh, in the middle of this book, 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter, the guy who, who saw cloven tongues, who, who preached and 3,000 people got saved, who witnessed incredible things, he said suffering is going to be part of your life as a Christian. And I want, to, I want to just pause here. If there's not suffering as part of your life as a Christian, you might need to question if you're doing it right. I'm not saying that we chase suffering just like we don't chase signs and wonders and miracles, but I'm telling you, if you speak for truth, you'll never separate yourself from friends. Friends will separate themselves from you. The moment that you stand on convictions founded in the word of God, it demands those around you to make a decision. And most of us that are living this life can preach the gospel without even saying or using words. But in the middle of him talking about persecution and suffering, he spends the last half of chapter 2 in chapter 3, ready for this one? Talking about a believer's life and how you should structure it. What your marriage should look like. The, the way that you look and, and, and talk about and think about the government. What you should do there. And so we're going to get into some hot button issues. But you have to know that Peter was saying if you're going to get ready to go through a season of suffering and persecution, the thing that you must check first is your structure. The things that you are actually building your life upon. Finally, we talked about the life and the gifting, but let's talk about the mission of the author in my final few closings here. 
The mission assignment from Jesus to Peter is found in John 21, 15 through 19. Peter, do you love me? It's a famous scripture, and he says it and repeats it three times, and the third time is a little bit different. But basically, he says, feed them. Feed them. I don't want you to give them the show without the go. I don't want you to give them the, the giftings without the character and the substance. I want you to give them, I want you to feed the people of God with something that they can build their life upon. And so with this, these things in mind, Peter the Rock, upon his confession and those like it, the church would be built. This first Pentecostal preacher, Peter, whose mandate was to feed the sheep, Peter, who was told the gates of hell will not prevail against the advancing kingdom, wanted you to know how to handle suffering, adversity, your life, your priorities, and how those things will determine your advancement as a believer. We, in the end, we accept Peter wrote this book because the Bible says so. Look to your neighbor and say, the Bible says so. That's actually a good mode and model to live by. If, you were to give you, if I were to give you an overview of 1 Peter, the word suffering is used 15 times as best as I can count. I put it on an estimate because I don't want the Bible scholars in the room to go, it was 16 or 14 or 17, around 15 times. The key theme is to prepare for the suffering that produces the advancement of the kingdom in and through us. This man named Peter, he says... Suffering and persecution are part, but don't lose heart because suffering and persecution is going to be the vehicle by which God uses the church to advance the kingdom. Let me give you some things to consider about suffering. God doesn't cause it, but man, he'll use it. You have to understand and have an understanding of the fallen world that we live in and how important it is to understand when it comes to suffering. God didn't cause it, but he'll use it. And really, in the end, it is our sin that has created a mess. I want you to say something that's going to be really, really easy for you to say. I want you to look to your neighbor and say, your sin created this mess. I want you to say something. I want you to say something a little bit harder now. I want you to put your hand on, on your heart and I want you to say, My sin caused this mess. It's actually the hardest thing to come to grasp with is that we live in this fallen world and we actually paid a part and are playing a part in causing this fallen world to be broken. I love, I love what one theologian said when he, when he was asked, why do bad things happen to good people? And we oftentimes will, will answer that question as though it doesn't really impact or affect us. And then when we look inward, we go, well, why do we do bad things to good people? It's really easy, listen to me, it's really easy as a Christian to take your finger and point out there but the first step of you having a proper understanding of suffering is when you take that finger and you point it in here. And you say, God, why is the broken in me? Why do I perpetuate the brokenness with my own decisions when if I will just stand on your word and allow the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in my life to work towards obedience to Jesus Christ, if I will just walk this thing out one step after another, 
He'll tell you to lay it down. If you listen to Him. I remember when I was in my, my early walk with the Lord, I really got serious with the Lord when I was in my eighth grade year of, of junior high. And I really got serious and God got a hold of my life. And I would go to him and I would say, like, Lord, what about this music I'm listening to? There's just something funny about it every time I listen to it. I would, I would ask him about the movies I was watching. And I would say, man, my spirit just doesn't align with that. My friends would invite me places and I would, I would go, Lord, should I even do that? Should I go there? And it was never of like it was never for me an issue of telling someone they shouldn't go. It was like the Lord just not having me do it. Because why? The thing that you can control through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit is, is walking as a disciple of Jesus and saying yes to the things that He wants you to say yes to. And saying no to the things that He wants you to say no to. My sin has created a mess so big that if it wasn't for Jesus, we would all be in trouble. Jesus came to give us life. And the Bible says, life more abundantly. This is the good news this morning. This world is not our home. I was reminded as I was getting ready for this, as Brooke, as you come back and start playing, my son was, um, we had the opportunity of going back to uh, Vacaville this last weekend. And my 11-year-old son jumps in the car after I have to peel him away from some family. And immediately tears started streaming down his cheeks. And he was just one of those dad moments where you, you're, you're, trying to, you're trying to assess a situation. And um, my wife's a lot better at it than I am, to be completely honest with you. She'll look at me and she'll go, he's an 11-year-old, stop it. And I'm in there trying to reason with 11-year-old motions. But he talked to me, what's going on? And with little tears coming down his cheeks, Paul, he, he looks at me and he says, Dad, do you just feel like Vacaville's not your home? And do you feel like Grants Pass is not your home either? He's like, I just don't feel like I'm home. And I had a really good conversation with my son. Vacaville's not my home. Grants Pass is not my home. Heaven's our home. We're just aliens and strangers and foreigners passing through. And as hard as it is for an 11-year-old to wrap around his brain, his mind, his heart, his soul, isn't it like us? This world's not our home. We're just passing through. And the good news is, is that this sin, my sin, would you take your heart or hand, put it on your heart and just whisper it, my sin? My sin. My sin that created the mess. The equation is solved because Jesus came to give us life and life more abundantly. And this is the good news. The good news allows us to experience heaven on earth today, not just one day. I've referenced it many times over the last couple of weeks because I believe it's a, a, a statement that is for our church in this season. If you're viewing online, I want you to listen to your pastor. If you're going through it, it's Jesus that will bring the light in your tunnel, not just at the end of your tunnel. We serve a God who will meet you right now at the point of your need. 
You don't have to come bearing gifts, thinking that you need to dress a certain way or act a certain way before you meet him. He will meet you exactly where you're at. And as we walk through this study in Peter, what you're going to find is you're going to find a God who's gracious with you, that will walk you through a sanctifying process that will allow your life to be used greater than you can even ask or imagine. And one day, if you're lucky like I am, you'll have an 11-year-old son with tears streaming down his cheeks, asking a very life-important question, and the Holy Spirit and the empowerment of it will bring into you remembrance and allow you to have a life that I don't even deserve. I don't deserve to stand behind this pulpit. I don't deserve to be your pastor. If it was up to the sins, and we were to put them on the scoreboard, my sin, your sin, that would be an embarrassing Sunday, wouldn't it, John? It'd be an embarrassing Sunday, but my sin that created the mess, Jesus, Jesus is the equation that solves our problem. And we're going to talk about this for the next four or five weeks. You mind if I talk about Jesus for the next four or five weeks? And we dive into what his word says in 1 Peter. It's incredible. Would you guys stand to your feet all across this room? You have to know that there is light in your tunnel, not just at the end of it. You're here this morning and you don't know Jesus. Your heart's not right with him. You want to make sure today before you leave, that you make him Lord of your life. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed all across this room, you say, Pastor, I need to make sure that my heart's right with Jesus. The greatest decision that you will make is going all in with him. He'll never let you down. And he'll actually bring a peace and a hope and a joy to your situation today that will change your life forever. Your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed. Christians are praying everywhere. You say, Pastor, this morning I want to get my heart right. If that's you, would you stretch up your hand so I can see it? Yes, yes, thank you, thank you. Thank you, young man, thank you. I see your hands in the back. I see your hands right there, thank you. Thank you. One over here, anybody else? See your hand. Hallelujah. Yes. Yes. If you raise your hand, could you look at me? Just look at me in the eyes. So proud of you. He's a thing that you're chasing after. We try to put a whole bunch of stuff to fill the void only to find that that void is bigger than when we started. But he brings a peace and a joy and a hope to our lives. And when you give him your whole life, man, the adventure is incredible. He'll take you to places that you've never even knew or understood. Like I, I didn't even know Grants Pass was a city until like two and a half years ago. And here I am getting a chance to share the gospel with you. That this mess that we find ourselves in, the Holy Spirit comes and provides peace and hope and joy and an answer in Jesus. And all you have to do is say yes. And so you're going to pray. We're going to pray together as a church family. Jesus, would you come and be Lord of my life? I'm all in with you. And I want you to know it's not the prayer that necessarily changes you. It's the belief in the prayer and the commitment that you make to say, Lord, I'm yours and you're mine. And you're going to start on this walk. And you're going to go two steps really good and you're going to fall down. But you're going to remember these words. You're going to remember these words. You're not called to a cruise ship. You're called to a battleship. 
and you're going to get back up and you're going to see, like I saw, I saw, I saw your son's hand today, your middle school's hand today. He had his hands lifted up during worship. Ain't nothing like it. Ain't nothing like it. Ain't nothing like when you give your heart to Jesus and, the, and your kids see the example that you set and the foundation of your life. That's how you begin to have generational blessings upon generational blessings come to your life that your kids see it's not easy, but it's going to be worth it. In Jesus' name, would you guys bow your heads and close your eyes and would you repeat this prayer after me? Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I recognize my need of you today. I'm all in. Everything that I am for everything that you are. Take every question. Take every dream, every hope, every aspiration. God, that's the good I can give you. But I know you don't just want the good. You want my shame. You want my pain. You want my mess. And God, I don't even understand it. How you'll take me and turn my mess into a miracle. But I thank you in advance that you're restoring me. You're changing me. You're transforming me to be more like you. Jesus, all of me, for all of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Would you celebrate with heaven this morning? Come on, somebody. Awesome stuff. Awesome. Awesome stuff. We have some Yes Team members that are going to come try to track you down. They're going to invite you to a little bit more of a fellowship and just maybe exchange some phone numbers and, and let you know what you just said yes to. We don't want to leave you guys walking this road alone. We got water baptisms coming up in March. If you just gave your heart to Jesus, that's a great next step is getting water baptized, publicly confessing your faith. My wife is going to sing a half a worship song. If you guys need to be dismissed, you're more than welcome to. But Father, we thank you. We thank you that this church is on the path for substance. Many of these new believers that are in this room are going to say yes, not to a cruise ship, but to a battleship. Many of, of, the, of, the, of the us that have, have walked with you for decades are going to re-up our commitment to not be on the cruise ship but go on the battleship with them. To go win a lost and lonely, bruised and broken world for you. And Father, we're going to build our life upon the foundation that is your king and is your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name.